Welcome to another edition of Focus on Alternatives, brought to you by ADISA, the Alternative and Direct Investment Securities Association. For more information about alternative investments, please visit adisa.org and check out the resource library where you'll find lots of quality content. My name is Greg Maas. I'm your host today. I'm joined by Bill Kelly. He's the CEO of Kaya. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Greg. Pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about alts and alt trends. Um, But before we go there, I just want to hear your basic definition of an alternative investment. So it's often easy to talk about what it's not. So I think most of of, uh, folks think about investing in 60-40 models, 60% public equity, 40% debt. And that's the traditional space. Alts can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's everything else. And it it covers collectibles like wine and baseball cards. The institutional definition, what a a sovereign wealth fund would own, would be the private markets, private equity, private debt, infrastructure, real estate, hedge funds, commodities. But even cryptocurrencies are considered Mm -hmm. an alternative. So the definition keeps evolving. But I think it's maybe easier to orient yourself about what it's not, which is public public equity, public debt. So you just covered a lot of different asset classes. Let's go mainstream financial advisor, mainstream investor. Um, How should they be thinking about allocating into alts? Well, I think to not have a consideration for the private markets is a big mistake. Mm -hmm. You look at where capital formation and value creation is happening, it is in the private markets. During the course of my career, there's a concept of the Wilshire 5000, a a misnomer right now. There's only 3,500 publicly listed companies. More companies are starting private and staying private for longer periods of time. Uh, When they do go public, oftentimes it's a DPO, direct public offering, where the founding LPs and GPs are exiting. So I think the very best value proposition, and I think our industry sometimes gets this wrong, was selling the investor on the concept that you can make higher returns in the private equity market than you can in the public equity market. May or may not be true given any specific company, but I think it's fallacy. I think the conversation's got to be around Where's capital formation and value creation happening? It's Mm -hmm. happening in the private markets full stop. And if you're just becoming an exit mechanism for a Warby Parker who did a DPO, is that fair to you and what you're trying to create, especially if you have responsibility for your own retirement and 401k plan? So from that standpoint, if you're thinking about wealth creation, you must be accessing the private markets. Completely agree. And you just brought up retirement accounts. Um, talk more about retirement accounts and alts in retirement accounts because it seems like they, they'd be a good fit for each other. There's a long time horizon on retirement accounts and a lot of alts have you know, periods of illiquidity. So touch on that for us. So I, I think as a headline, uh, I absolutely believe the access should be there. But I heard a, a fairly uh, sophisticated GP uh, proffer that why should the teacher in Texas have access to alts through a public pension plan and yet the accountant doesn't? And I think it's, as a headline, it makes great sense, but the teacher has somebody else taking care of investment risk, inflation risk. We learned the impact of of currency risk uh, through uh, these uh, LDI arrangements in London just last week and how poisonous that could be to wealth creation. If I'm the teacher in Texas, somebody else is taking care of all those risks for me. And all I need to do when I'm 65 is walk down to the end of my driveway, open up a mailbox, and a check is there 100 cents in the dollar. If we say to the accountant, all right, this seems unfair, you're managing our retirement, have access to private equity, have access to private debt. Who's doing the due diligence for that poor accountant? And when that accountant goes down to the mailbox, there is no check there. It's in his 401k plan, and he better have managed all of these risks, risks, including longevity risk, correctly and carefully, 
Otherwise, uh, he or she's going to have a very difficult golden year uh, span. So, uh, so that part of it, I think we get, uh, we don't pay enough attention to. So the access is very, very important. But I think every one of these quote unquote asset classes are no longer asset classes. They've gotten to be very, very complex industries where the median returns don't look very attractive relative to the public market proxy. And then the dispersion, meaning what the, the median return is versus what the top managers are delivering, you could drive a truck through it. So mm-hmm. due diligence, clearly, clearly important. But I think that if, if you or I are, are responsible for managing own retirement and we don't have access to these tools, I think we've done ourselves a disservice. Absolutely. And that's why I'm so glad to see more and more people adapting alts in all different types uh, from the private equity to the real estate um, to infrastructure. And speaking of infrastructure, I mean, that, that's been a real hot button, continues to grow. Can you talk more about infrastructure and alts? So it's, it's one of these, uh, again, I'll use the word asset class for simplicity purposes here, Greg, but it's, it's one of the uh, asset classes that doesn't get the attention it deserves. And if you look at the emerging middle class in sub-Saharan Africa, parts of India, it is enormous. And the population in these countries are enormous. They don't have the basic infrastructure around, uh, just around toll roads and airports and, and, uh, and a whole host of, of, uh, of things like that. The ability to invest with a secured asset, with a return that is probably better than you can get in the public debt markets for a long period of time, I think exceedingly attractive. The amount of capital needed in that space is enormous. The risks are there too. You've got a a public-private partnership. So your your investment partner might be the sovereign itself. What does that mean? If you don't know, you better figure that out before you make the investment in the first place. But I think there are many, many opportunities beyond the garden variety 60-40 model we have in front of us. And I think infrastructure is just one of those that I would point out. Have that conversation with your advisor because that could be a very interesting substitute for what is a very unattractive fixed income market in the public space. So speaking of infrastructure, there's now more closed-in funds, non-traded vehicles, interval funds that are accessing uh, global infrastructure investing. So it's great tools for advisors uh, to be able to access for those in, in individual investors. Um, next topic that's a trend is impact investing. So what's happening at the intersection of impact and alts? Uh, so, I, and I think your point a moment ago very much uh, plays into that because the wrapper matters. And if we're going to take very sophisticated product and drop it into a 40-act fund, or an ETF with next day liquidity. Have we given the investor what they want or what they absolutely need? And I think even interval funds, a better movement, a quarterly liquidity subject to a tender. But I think we've got to look at the investor's wants and needs and being more impactful, clearly this next generation, much more so than the baby boomers. But can we accomplish that in the public markets? A short answer is I think so, but a lot more difficult to do. And I think this label of ESG seems to dominate the discussion in the public equity markets as if ESG was a single risk factor. There are so many risk factors tucked inside. It seems almost foolish to be talking about it. I saw an article recently in The Economist that talked about the rating agencies that that track these ratings in the public sector. They're looking at over 700 metrics across 64 verticals, only 10 of which are in common. Mm -hmm. And then people say, wow, I'm surprised that one to the other only correlate 0.5. I'm surprised they correlate at all. So getting back now to your question about impact, impact is like so many things in life, a long-term play. But if I've got a very narrow 
uh, uh, opportunity around housing or water or something that's very, very specific, that's a lot easier to measure. And when I think about the concept of net profit, what is my net profit after the impact that I brought forward? And hopefully it's an additive, not a deduction. So I, I think that this can be done much more so in the private markets because you've got a concentrated shareholder base very, very patient capital, uh, a metrics that a GP could work on with the underlying uh, portfolio company to say, this is important to you, important to, uh, to us, and certainly important to the end investor we're serving. Let's find a way of measuring. In the public markets, if we try to do that, every lobbyist has a lobbyist, and every special interest group is saying, no, 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 you can't do this, you're swinging too far to the right, and nothing gets done. So I think it's not only the concept of patient capital, but the smaller eyeballs on it, I think, for allow for a much better value proposition. And I, I look at this next generation of millennials and the transfer of wealth from the baby boomers down. It's measured in the tens of trillions of dollars. Yeah. I saw a number of 80 trillion wow. recently. So the amount of money moving into the hands of this more uh, sophisticated uh, impact investor, uh, I think could be enormous. And I think we're just scratching the surface. I saw recently the impact space is maybe a trillion dollars. I think we're poised to see a tremendous amount of growth there. And in your opinion, making an impact investment does not mean you have to get lower returns. Is that right? Uh, it's, I think if that is an accepted uh, truism, then as a fiduciary, either to yourself or to, uh, to somebody else, if you're the GP, that should not be part of the mix. If you're trying to capture it short term, you may have to give something up in a long term horizon. Uh, it should be a double bottom line, full stop. Okay. So as we wrap up, what are some best practices about allocating portfolios to alts? I go back, and I know that we're dealing with more of a retail-oriented audience here, Greg, but I go back to uh, a David Swenson at Yale. He died last year way too young. But you think about how Yale allocates to endowments. They don't think about traditional versus alternative. They think about how much is Yale going to pull each year, and it's usually 5 to 6%. And then I look at other liabilities and responsibilities and the duration of those. And if I say, well, a fair amount of this capital is not going to be called upon for, for years, and maybe in some cases decades. Why can't I lock that up longer? Not to capture an illiquidity premium, to capture a complexity premium, to get involved in early uh, stage VC and growth equity where the action is happening. And that's how the endowment model was built. Now, if it comes down to you or I, we're wired differently because we want liquidity on demand. but. But if I'm 25 years old and I'm saving for retirement, or I have a three-month-old and I'm saving for college, is liquidity a page one risk for me? It shouldn't be. But I think time and time again, our industry takes very complex offerings, put them into that 40-act wrapper because that's what the client wants. But having that conversation about what they need and think about the very best risk-adjusted portfolio you could put forward. And we've seen a lot of contagion in the marketplace so far mm -hmm. this year. The uh, all-country world index has drawn down 20% through the end of August. That if I had hedge funds in there, and I know that maybe that's a scary term, the average hedge fund drew down four. So if I had some hedge fund exposure, rather than being down 20, maybe I'm only down 10. Sure. And that's a much a shallow hole to get back out of and get back up. So I think ultimately, it's not time in the market, it's time in the market. And if you can have a diversified portfolio with some of those sharp movements uh, sort of winnowed out because of diversification, I think you're going to sleep better at night and have better risk-adjusted returns over time. I completely agree. Bill, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and perspective with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Greg. And thank you for watching another episode of Focus on Alternatives. Again, for more information about trends and alts, please visit adisa.org. Thank you.